0: Well, good morning, Heritage family. I'm glad that you've joined us uh, from the comfort of your living room or den or wherever else you are this morning. Uh, This morning, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're almost finished with our study of 1 Thessalonians. Today, we're going to be uh, looking at a prayer of Paul, one of two prayers that is in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And uh, we'll be in chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Uh, I will come back next week, hopefully, and finish this. But we're going to be looking at at least uh, three of the points on your outline that by now I hope that you've found the worship guide uh, by going to our website, downloading it. And uh, we will be working through the first part of this, talking about the incredibly important topic of sanctification, 1 Thessalonians Chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, listen to the words of Paul when he says this. This is not only a prayer, but a, a, a sense of speaking of the commitment of God to do a certain thing in our lives. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ he who calls you is faithful he will surely do it father i thank you that uh, this morning we can come to you in the name of the lord jesus christ the one through whom you have called us and the one through whom you keep us and father i'm so grateful that as we are now scattered out All across the city, but brought together by a common bond, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, to look at your word, even as we've been singing and taking in what you have to say to us through your sung word and your word prayed. uh, I pray now that as I preach your word, as I declare your word to your people, that uh, even though separated by a distance, that we will come together and you will speak to our hearts and that you will help uh, us apply uh, this incredible uh, truth to our own lives. So we thank you that we can do this. Thank you for the technology by which we can do this uh, for times such as these. So we thank you and praise you. We look forward to what you will teach us today. Help me, Lord, to do everything that uh, I have prepared to do and need to do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in my years of, I'll put it like this, running the Christian race, my path has not always been smooth. It hasn't always been a straight path. There have been twists and turns. There have been ups and downs. There have been, as a friend of mine says, fits and starts. But I go back to the very beginning, when I first received Christ and trusted in Him, I slowly began to learn some concepts and their meanings. Uh, I can tell you this, that when I first started out as a child, I thought it was all just about receiving Jesus into my heart. Somehow, being born again, I found out later that that has a big word attached to it, regeneration, and then just trying to be good. But as I grew in Christ, I discovered Those things were just the beginning. There was this this whole lifelong process of what God was now going to take me through until the time that I went to be with Him called sanctification. I had done essentially what the believers at Thessalonica had done. If you go all the way back to the first chapter, you're going to see this. I had done that, even though I was just 11, probably hadn't grown up in what I would have considered idolatry. This is essentially what every born-again believer does. You turned to God from idols, even if your basic idolatry is just the worship of yourself, to serve the living and the true God. And then I realized something, again, along the way, that this is not a one-and-done kind of thing. This is a daily kind of thing where we are working out what it means to put off our idolatry and to put on following and serving the living God. There were several things that were going on inside of me all during this time from 11 years of age on through my teen years. Let me just share some of those things with you. One was a distinct feeling that I had. I I don't know any other way to put it, but I can tell you this, that I felt special. I really did. I felt set apart from God. I cannot explain it to you, but even at 11 years of age, I felt that. Another thing that was going on inside of me was a radical change in my thinking that God had not necessarily designed me, first of all, to be happy, but rather to be holy or sanctified. And as I grew, I learned that it wasn't really an either-or, but really true happiness was a result of becoming increasingly holy. The third thing that was going on inside of me was this. I I, I saw all of that, but I looked at myself, and I looked at the requirements for growth and sanctification, and frankly, one of the things that caused me a lot of fear was I wasn't sure that I was going to make it. I mean, becoming more and more like Jesus is a pretty tall order for anyone, let alone an 11-year-old kid and a teenager who's struggling with a lot of different things, and then you look at the lists in Scripture, and, and I just think of it right before this passage of Scripture that we just read is a list of 14 things, 14 different ways that Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, this is what you believers are supposed to be doing, and you walk through that list, and he says some other things earlier in chapter 4, and it made me wonder Am I going to finish the race? Or somewhere along the line, am I just going to stop? Am I going to fall? Am I going to turn back? Let me just say this to you. If you have ever felt some of those things that I felt, and in many ways that I still feel, this short prayer is for you. I want you to notice, second of all, that this short prayer, the focus is not on... You and your finishing, while it does mention that, it's really the focus is on God as the ultimate finisher. He is able to keep his absolute commitment to finish the good work that he has begun in you. Uh, This early on became one of my favorite verses. It has since then become a, a very in a very real sense, a life verse where Paul talks to the church at Philippi, and he talks to individual Christians. I I took this for myself. I still do. He said, and I'm sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, I haven't arrived, but one of these days I will. Now, Let's look at the things on the outline. We will go, as I said, through three of the points and try to flesh these out. Hopefully, it'll be an encouragement to you today. Uh, We need to get a basic definition. What does it mean to be sanctified, and why is it so important? I've already given a hint. I've already alluded to this in some of the ways that I said that I was feeling. Basically, To be sanctified means to be set apart for a special purpose. Let me give you some other uh, synonyms, some other words that also describe sanctification. Here's one, consecration, to be consecrated. Holy is another one. We find holiness all throughout Scripture, and whenever you see the word holiness, it always refers to the word sanctification. There's a sense of a, a washing and a cleansing that are a part of that setting apart. And in case you wonder if sanctification is somehow for a special class of Christians, Paul lets us know in this little letter to the church, the, the, the young church at Thessalonica, that it is for every Christ follower, no matter what age you are. Let's go back to what he said in, in chapter 4, in verse 3, for this is the will of God. I don't care if you're 8 or if you're 80. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Is there anybody who has been reading through our Bible reading plan that we started at the first of the year? If you have been, and if you've been keeping up, then you'll note that at the end of this last week, you have been in the book of Exodus along about chapters 28 through 31. And and I hope that it didn't wear you out to read about all of the different little details of the tabernacle and all of the utensils and the garments of the priests and the vessels, the oils and all of the rest of that. But that was vitally important as a type as a picture of being set apart unto God, being consecrated, being sanctified. And if you read through that carefully, you're going to find this about a priest. And by the way, that that priest not only prefigured Christ, but also prefigures us as priests. If we did not wash, or the priest did not wash, or the priest didn't wear holy garments, he would die. That's how important it was. There's something else. If a priest had, all, priest had already been consecrated and he touched a consecrated vessel, he became holy. If an ordinary person used consecrated things or used substitutes, that person would die or he would be thrown out of the assembly of the God-followers. Now, if we jump to the New Testament, it basically means that once you have been born again, you are, we said this before, set apart from sin to God for His use. And sanctification is basically the process by which you and I become more and more like Jesus. Let me give you a definition. Uh, it's, it's a technical definition, but it comes straight from Scripture. And, and I, I'm going to give you a little bit of time so that you can at least reference it and look it up. There, there are a lot of good confessions of faith. There is the London... The Philadelphia, those are more Baptistic. Now, the Westminster Confession of Faith, more Presbyterian, but they're all basically saying the same things about important doctrinal matters. And in the shorter catechism, where they take the longer and just shrink it down to give the essence, question 35, what is sanctification? Listen to this great definition. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed. There's that picture of regeneration. We are renewed in the whole man. We're going to see this in a minute. After the image of God, spirit, soul, and body. And we are enabled more and more on a daily basis to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. Let me ask you a A question. I I would say it's a practical question. Hopefully, everything that I've said so far is practical. Every verse out of Scripture is practical. I hope it meets you where you are. How important is it that you be sanctified? We've gone through several different definitions. We've looked at the Old Testament what the Old Testament said about the, the garments and the utensils and the tabernacle. But for you today, believer, how important is it that you are sanctified? Well, Let's let Scripture answer that. It is absolutely non-optional. If you are a follower of Christ, and you can see some quotes there, if you've got the worship guide open in front of you, You will find that the Scripture clearly, clearly teaches that holiness or sanctification is absolutely non-optional for every believer. The writer of the Hebrews tells us, "...pursue peace with all men and the sanctification or the holiness without which no one will see God." There's no getting to see the living God unless you're growing in sanctification. Now, if that feels intimidating, look to the promise back here that we just read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. The God himself is going to make sure that it's done. Let me give you just a couple of of sentences to try to explain this. The grace that saves, listen to this, this is important. The grace that truly saves doesn't make sanctification or holiness optional, it makes it possible. Did you get that? The grace that saves doesn't make holiness or sanctification optional. And there, there is a whole group of believers in this country. We need to hear this. But what it does, the grace that saves makes holiness and sanctification possible. Here's another statement. God calls you to sanctification, that is holiness, and always, you've probably heard this before, graciously gives what He commands. He graciously gives what He commands. So what is the ultimate source of our sanctification? It is the the God of peace. It's in a person. I want you to look at this passage of scripture, Romans chapter eight verses thirty one and thirty two and let me just make a couple of comments and then we'll read this, this, this little passage of scripture together. You and I cannot pull. This thing called progressive sanctification, we can't pull it off in our own strength. But, but here's the reality. The beauty is, you don't have to. You, you have absolutely got to see this. That God is not just some disinterested entity somehow far off in this place called heaven and he's given you this thing to do without coming alongside and helping you. God is personally interested in you and he is absolutely committed to finishing what he has started in you. And that's why Paul would say these words, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And here's how he comes alongside of you. I I want you to see this. Go back to verse 23. Hopefully you are still got your Bibles open to uh, chapter 5, verse 23. And I love the way that it says it. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That's not an uncommon reference to God, the God of peace. But I do believe that it's significant that Paul uses that here To people who might have that feeling, as I shared with you a few minutes ago, that sometimes we don't feel like we're going to make it, and so we become anxious. We need God to come alongside of us as the God of peace. And let me tell you something. If you let Him do that, He will bring, listen to me, He will bring order, because He is the God of peace, to your confusion, and He will bring peace to your anxiety. How does he do that? Because he is the God of peace. I think somewhere along the line, a follower of Christ has to come to grips with a couple of questions that the world asks. Sometimes they assume these things, and so we have to deal with these ourselves. Let me just ask you what your attitude is about this. Christian, Does God ever make mistakes? I I was thinking as I was musing over this question in my preparation this last week. Does God ever make mistakes? Go back to creation. Did He make any mistake when He created anything that exists? Anything. And if you read it carefully, it says, After every day He said, you know, what I've created is good. It's good. There are no mistakes. There's nothing left out, nothing gone missing. But after he created man and woman, he said, that is very good. I love this. I didn't come up with this. Adrian Rogers did. But you'll, and you'll have to think about it. Because, again, we have to deal with the fact that God knows what is going on in your life and in the world around you. He knows all of the political maneuvering. He knows all of the things about sickness and disease. He knows all the things about financial and economic considerations. He knows all that. And here's the question that Adrian Rogers posed Has it ever occurred to you? You know what it is for something to occur to you. You're sitting there and you're thinking and something, bing, pops into your mind. Something occurs to you. So, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? God's just not going along and something occurs to him because he has already worked out everything that you and I are going through. There are a couple of things that we need to see. While he has worked it out, that doesn't mean that we don't participate in that. Sanctification, we'll talk a little bit more, hopefully, this next week about what God does and he does it alone in our regeneration. But in our sanctification, there, there is this, this wonderful coming together of our work and His work. Work out your own salvation with a sense of seriousness, fear and trembling every day, every minute of every day, but then we have this confidence for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 basically echo this and come back to what we said in, in the verses that we read out of First Thessalonians a few minutes ago, God will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Listening to the songs that we've been singing this morning, Looking at the words, just think about some of what you affirmed in the songs that you were singing this morning. Now, why this fear and unbelief? Has not the Father put to grief His spotless Son for us? And will the righteous judge of men condemn me for that debt of sin now canceled at the cross? Brother and sister, if God loved us that much, took a personal interest in us that much that He gave His Son, He will come alongside you in whatever you're going through as the God of peace, He Himself will sanctify you. Now, let me move on. You'll see that the second uh, heading in your outline says, The scope of our sanctification is our entire person, our spirit soul, and our body. I'm not going to get into a discussion um, of whether man is in three parts or two parts, but basically we can see that that man is made up of, of the body, this mortal body that we have that, by the way, and we'll see this next week more clearly, will be given a new body, the resurrection body, throughout eternity. But we also have this spirit and soul, this inner nature. And so here's the key, and, and, and I don't want you to miss it because you can fall into the ditch on either side. The scope of your sanctification and mine is our whole being. God wants to set you apart, spirit and soul, your inner man. And body for him and for his purposes. You see, there there, back then and even today, there, there are these kinds of two opposing errors. One of those is the error of the Pharisees. We see that all over. We see it in a lot of religions. We see it in Christianity. The Pharisees, Jesus' assessment of them was: you guys are good at getting the outside right. Okay? The outside of the cup is clean. You do a good job of cleaning up. But inside, not so much. Inside, you are full of greed and wickedness. And so we we can't just focus on conforming to outward legal requirements. And they're in every religion, even biblical requirements, and ignore what's happening on the inside. But there's an equal but opposite kind of error. And I think that, that Paul was trying to correct this at least in part. It could have been called the Gnostic error. It, 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 it has raised its head in various ways. But that basically was the world out of which the Thessalonians came. It was the pagan world that said basically the body is, is evil, it's passing away. So as long as I can get my heart right, as long as my attitudes and everything is inside is right, then I can go ahead and indulge the evil desires of my body. Now you think about that. And that is not an uncommon thought that our enemy, Satan, has even used against us on many occasions. Let me go back again and reference this in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I believe this is why, connected with sanctification, what is it that Paul goes after with that church? And it needs to be said to us too. We quoted the first part of it a few minutes ago. For this is the will of God. What does it say? Your sanctification. And then he spells it out that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's something not only that starts on the inside, but that's something that happens with your body. Now, he goes on, in case you missed it, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. For God has not called us for impurity, but he has called us in holiness. So don't compartmentalize. That's our tendency to say, I'm just going to work on the the outside, I'm going to ignore the inside, or I'm just going to work on the inside and ignore the outside. God's plan for sanctification, for your sanctification, includes your entire being. Don't leave anything out. And again, please don't compartmentalize. I'd like you to, uh, you have your Bible there and you can probably flip over to it, maybe your smart device I'll give you a second to turn. I'm not going to read this entire passage of scripture, but I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and and watch as Paul talks with another primarily pagan they they were pagan not primarily Jewish church at Corinth. They had come out of the same kind of background. And he talks to them about being washed and and on the road to sanctification. But look at the list of sins that he mentions. Now, again, these always are connected to the inside, but unless you miss it, they're also connected with our bodies. In fact, he had just finished dealing with a situation in that church where they actually thought... One of their members could be in good standing because he probably believed the right things inwardly, but outwardly he was involved in sexual immorality. So, starting in verse 9, chapter 6, I'm just going to read through verse 11. But but listen to what Paul says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards. Do you see a pattern here? All of this has an expression of being done with our bodies, uh, nor revilers, that's with our mouths, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he comes back to talk about the regeneration and the ongoing sanctification Such were some of you. Not such are some of you, but such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There are so many hot-button issues. That are around us today. And, and I want you to think about this, trying to apply the, the scriptural teaching of our sanctification. I'm talking about as believers now. There, there's a difference if you're trying, not as a believer, to, to, to fix things politically or economically and, and and all of the rest of that. But there is a difference that when you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you begin to see. These hot button issues that are all around us are simply a violation of God's desire to sanctify the entire person, including our bodies. Sanctity of life. I'm not going to get into detail right now. That's a hot button issue, at least it should be. Sanctity of life, sanctity of marriage. If we understood sanctification as believers in Jesus Christ, these are not really issues. Th- the, something that's kind of new, but it's really not, and for lack of a better word, I'm going to call it identity, politics. And we're talking about basing value of people on outward identities. Here's another word, uh, When I was a lot younger, this had a totally different meaning. Orientation. See, all of these, as I said a few minutes ago, have to do with our sanctification of our entire person. Here's another one that is big all around us today. Gender dysphoria. And when the principles of sanctification of our entire being spirit, soul, and body are not viewed as being a unity, then what happens is evil begins to be redefined as good and good is redefined as evil. Believer, let the Scripture stand as God's authoritative Word and not as it's commonly seen today, a guidebook that we can pick and choose which verses fit our agenda and go from there. And not only must we understand this as adults, but we must help our children to understand God's plan and why Satan hates not only your spirit and soul, and I'm talking to believers right now, but also your body body, and He wants to destroy our bodies. One of the key things to help our children, our, our, our precious students, is to help them understand and develop a right concept of how God sees them, to accept God's values and not the world's values. Let me give you, and these are not new with me. I saw these years ago. But, but four different reasons why God wants you to be sanctified in your spirit, soul, and body. We're going to focus on the body right now and why Satan hates your body so much. Let me give you the first one. You can write this down. I've got several verses that go along with it. Here's the first one is, why does Satan hate your body and want to destroy it so much? The body of your children. Because you were created in God's image. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. You you just can't get any more basic than that. That's an identity statement. We were created in God's image distinctly as male and female. And to the degree that you see our sanctification, the outworking of that, growing in holiness to understand that, and we begin to value ourselves as God values us and not as the world values us, that will go such a long way in not only helping us deal with the issues around us, but help our children as well. Let me show you another verse, and I could just pull out verse after verse. Here, here's another identity statement, realizing that, that I am specifically and particularly and specially formed by God is the person that I am. I didn't choose it. Who did? God did, because He formed my inward parts. He did yours too. He knitted us together in our mother's womb. The psalmist said, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made the way I am. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Do you know where the problem comes in? And and I'm not just talking about a term that I used a minute ago, gender dysphoria. I'm talking about in, in someone who seems to have everything all together, but they reject the purpose that God has set for them in the way that he has made them. Look at this out of Isaiah chapter 45, verses 9 and 10. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. gives an illustration. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. In other words, I'm not so happy with the way that you made me. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? You were created in the image of God and you derive your ultimate value from that. Second thing that we look at that creates that sense of value in us and it lets us know why Satan is so opposed to, to this body that we have been given that someday will be redeemed because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that your body, Paul says, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You're not your own, Christian. Others may say they're their own, but you cannot say that for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. There's a third one that's closely related to this. It says it like this, your body is a member of Christ's body. Now, Paul is not talking about the church here in general. He's talking about individual Christians, and he wants them to know about the process of sanctification being being involved with not only spirit and soul, but also with their body. So he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. So you're created in God's image. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. Can you imagine doing anything with your body to dishonor the very God who lives in you. Your body is a member of Christ's body. You don't take the members of Christ's body and join them to anything unholy. But there's a last one, and this is a very positive one that Satan knows all too well. The members of your body can become weapons of righteousness. Romans 12 and 13, 6, 12 and 13. Members of your body can become weapons of righteousness. That word, and you're going to see it in just a minute, that is an accurate representation of the word that is often in this passage translated instruments. Paul is talking about the outworking of sanctification, and he says it like this Let not sin therefore reign. He obviously is talking about inside your spirit and your soul, but he says, Don't let it reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He goes on, do not present the members, your members, to sin as instruments. Now, if you will just do a quick word study of all of the places in the New Testament where this word is used, it's always translated as weapon or armor except for this passage of Scripture. So, let's read it like this. Don't present your members to sin as weapons to be used for unrighteousness. Put, pre- present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members as God for instruments of righteousness. In other words, for weapons of righteousness. That means your mouth doesn't have to be a weapon that destroys, a weapon of unrighteousness. Your mind, your eyes, the different parts of your body, your hands, the things that you do. Paul says don't present them to sin. Don't let them become weapons of unrighteousness, but present them to God so that they can become weapons in the hands of God to use for His righteousness. The whole thrust of this message is that God is a finisher. What He has started in you, He will finish. That good work of sanctification, He will accomplish. Back some years ago, at the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, Spain, there was a young British man named Derek Redmond. He had already won many, many different races in his own country. He was in the Olympics. He was favored to win in the 400 meter. The shot was fired to start the race. He came out of the blocks. He was doing well and pulled up short with a ruptured hamstring. He went down, crumpled down onto the track. The crowd wasn't even looking at who finished the race. They were looking at Derek Redmond, and the crowd went silent with a, with a gasp and then silence. And they watched as Redmond came to his feet and started limping, started limping in his lane to finish the race, something that they didn't notice. But about that time, an older gentleman had jumped over the barrier and had come up to Derek Redmond and started supporting him as he walked. They were to find out it was Derek Redmond's father. The conversation between those two went something like this, son, you don't have to do this. And young Redmond said, dad, I've got to finish the race. The father said to his son, then if that's the case, I will walk with you, and I will help you finish the race. There were several officials who came up who tried to get the the elder Redman to stop, but he put his arm around his son. His son put his arm around him and together waved him off, waved off those officials, and together they finished the race. See, the key is not that I'm a finisher or that Derek Redman is a finisher. The key is that our father is the finisher. One of the other songs that we were singing today said these words, When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, Christ will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Father, I pray now that as we have looked today at the fact that the God of peace Himself will sanctify us completely, those of us who know You, and that our whole spirit and soul and body will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that He is faithful, that He will do it, that God, our God, is a finisher. I want to pray right now for Anyone who might be listening who has said that I, I've been trying to do this on my own. I am not a follower of Christ and I realize now that I need someone to help me make it to the end. I pray that that person in repentance and faith would reach out to the Lord Jesus Christ who is offered as the sole sacrifice for the sins of man and the one who sanctifies to the uttermost. So, Father, I pray that that would be done, even though no one virtually is in here today. All the people are scattered out. Your Spirit knows no boundaries, knows no limits, and I pray that you would do your work in your way and be glorified. We thank you now, Lord, that as we will see a a testimony from one who is doing a, a good job, an excellent job at getting the Word out. We pray that you would help us to not only listen, but also to respond as we should. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.